Gaming and BS episode 117. We talk creative spellcasting, but not before encounters with Corey Wynn, James Carruthers, and Forrest Gary. Angela Murray gives us feedback on Urban Adventures, and Fateful Mike asks for advice on Supers games. Welcome to Gaming NBS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Sean, that was a really, really professional intro. I, I, I appreciate the work and effort you put into writing that copy. That was good stuff, man. I'm up in the game. You're totally up in the game. You're making me look bad is what you're doing. That's <laughs> okay. I can't, uh, I can't comment on anything topic-wise, so I figure I would pretty up everything <laughs> else. <laughs> oh, ooh. So yeah, I do. Um, just for you, Sean, I do have to apologize. I did kind of run a little extra rampant on you last episode. So, yeah, hey, I understand, Brett. I mean, you know, the talent has its. They have their kind of own schedule, and you know, you gotta uh, get, you know, gotta get liquid to wet the vocals. I mean, I yeah, it happens. I totally it's a thing. I totally get it, man. Pulling. <laughs> 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 Damn. Uh, was ever counting just before we get on here, getting the uh, trying to get the last bits and pieces put together for that sucker. So it's coming together. It's coming together nice. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty happy with it. Very, very pleased. Fantastic. I know. I knew you'd be happy well, if why, I was happy. Why wouldn't I be happy? Exactly. Announcements. Announcements. Speaking of Evercon.org, we are, holy crap, by the time this drops, we are a month away from Evercon. We have, um, let's see, we got guys like Ken Height, um, oh Christ, Drew Happley, one of the men in black is coming from uh, Steve Jackson Games. We got some, a lot of cool stuff happening there. Oh shit, games galore, plenty of open uh, gaming space. We have the, uh, the Last Hope LARP. Uh, some of the LARP folks who are at uh, Gamehole Con are going to be there for us. That's going to be a lot of fun. My buddy Lenny is running uh, two sessions of a uh, quasi LARP game. This is <laughs> it's really cool. It's his brother in law owns the um, laser tag facility next door. So it starts as an RPG, and basically, what you get out of the RPG, you then go shoot zombies in a laser tag. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a blast. Laser tag with zombies? Yes. And apparently the way the guns work, the way they've set, the way these are set up is you can set it so that like if you have a shotgun, th- there's range limiters and the amount of damage they can do. Like this zombie is super tough. It takes five shots from a pistol and two shots from a rifle or something along those lines. It's, that's pretty cool. So now that, that's going to be a, that's going to be a fun little thing. That'll be cool. Sweet. I still think paint guns is the way to go. I think they would be too. I I played paintball and uh, I could see that happening. Kapow! Ah! <laughs> I've been hitting the throat with a paintball and dropping oh. my knee. That hurts like a motherfucker. Is what that does. Oh, speaking of, before I get too far, cussing. How far are we on our uh, stretch goals? It's like Patreon six now? bucks or something like that. It's not very like, far. So pretty soon, I'm gonna have to do an episode without swearing. Right, I think I think the current load is at sixty, or the current is sixty nine, and I think the Dude. the level is seventy five. All right, all right, we're getting there. We're getting close. Yeah. Well, I don't. 
don't know if I can do it, but I'll try. We'll see. We'll see. I don't have any other announcements other than that. So um, shall we move on to the uh, random encounter? Random encounter segment of the show where we discuss voicemails, emails, social media comments. Smoke signals, whatever it takes. That's right. Who wants to start, Brett? I always defer to Brett. Yeah, you do. I don't know why that is. It's because I'm a freaking nice guy, Brett. You're a freaking nice guy. Very nice guy. Speaking of, I got to pick your brain for a buddy of mine who's looking for work outside outside of here, but that's that's a different story. Anyhow, Corey Wynn. Hail Horry, host of podcast goodness. First of all, great to see you again at Game Hole. Now on to commentary. Whew, Corey hits us with a couple here. Episode 115, Gods and All. I make up all my own gods and goddesses to avoid the issues you talked about. And for another reason, how magic is supplied slash distributed for all spellcasting characters and magic items. While long and boring to type, I have my reasons for making the gods up, and it ties to the world's history, cosmology, magic, folklore, etc. Easier to uh, just make stuff up and possibly have PCs flesh out aspects of the particular gods' tenets. Even non-cleric slash paladin slash divine monkey classes can worship or invoke gods. It's not like everyone, um, but the divine classes are agnostic. Most of the time, the gods in my world take a backseat and may be a powerful representative of theirs, uh, and, oh, excuse me, maybe a powerful representative of theirs would appear in a game or the PCs would learn about machinations of an evil god or goddess as an investigative, quote, who done it, unquote, and get embroiled in the scheme, the campaign coloring, and uh, it's campaign coloring, and I use it. Episode 116, Urban Adventures. I've never gotten Carl Urban into a game with me yet. Oh, my God. Um, oh, hey, ho. Oh, oh. oh, thank you, Gus. Uh, wrong Urban. I have done city stuff. How about a city run with an iron fist by ghosts of the original founders who contrived to keep all as they dreamt it when the city was founded? Done that as no one suspected a city governed by incorporeal undead who used puppeted people to be the facade of governing officials. You know, what's interesting is that actually reminds me of uh, Lankmar. There are the gods in Lankmar versus the gods of Lankmar. And uh, so anyway, there's some uh, there's some uh, precedent for Mr. Corey Wynn's approach in the Great Fritz Library. Hmm. Anyhow, also competing guilds, masquerade balls, visiting gypsy troubadours, and the fortunes going awry um, have kept my PCs in the city. I also had a siege of adventure, um, a siege of a city adventure, wherein I built a big wall out of cardboard, had hundreds of minis out, and used mass combat rules as well as one to one interludes as the PCs thought how best to overtake the city and its defenses. Some of the guys in the gaming group kept taking pics with their phones on that one, which surprised me. I like to mix up the terrain from city to dungeon to cave to swamp to open field and even the skies or other planes. Hey, maybe that's a topic for you. How do you handle extra planar stuff slash other dimensions in games? Curious to know. Take care, guys. Hope to see you at Gary Khan and I'll bring some brews. Corey Wynn, your patron who's not a patron. <laughs> and I'll uh, To Corey's point around the beer, Corey has and uh, his brother Dave have provided Sean and I with some amazing beer every time they have come run into us at a con. So it's uh it's always nice to see those guys. <laughs> Nothing else just for the beer. Uh seriously though, Corey, thank you, sir, for writing in. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Is Sean. Cheers and all that. Right. As I wave my water bottle around. <laughs> all right. James Carruthers. Hey, Brett and Sean. I just finished listening to your city campaigns episode. I enjoyed it as always, but this one inspired me to send along a note to join the conversation as a few points in particular came to mind. First off, 
The whole thing reminded me of our family's favorite board game, Lords of Waterdeep. That's a, that's a good one. I've never played Lords of Waterdeep. I've never played it. That is a damn shame, Brett. You have played it, though, correct? I know. I gamed with the designer. Oh, that's right. You did. Peter He's Lee. He's like a close, pers- pers- close personal friend of yours, yeah, isn't he? I like to think as Peter is my close personal friend. He, We have history. He was in my Star Wars Living Force game for quite some time and went on to move to Wizards of the Coast. From, that's right. Originally from the cities, worked for University of Wisconsin for a while, and then he... He got in. I'm going to give you guys a little story. This is kind of unique. If you want to get into the gaming industry, this is kind of weird. Not weird, but something that just consider. Peter used to, he was a very good miniatures painter. A lot of cool mini or not. A lot of minis on oh, there. He's, he's really good. He's the guy that would like, you know, use a Dremel, put it out, put tea lights in things to make it look like the fire elementals actually on fire. He does good, good stuff. Yeah, he did some, he did some molds of him, uh, himself. One of his more popular molds that he did was the gelatinous cube. So he did it before wizards did. And he actually put like a little skeleton dude in the cube and made it look like he was floating. Regardless, he got into miniatures painting, got into D and D minis and then judged for wizards of the coast at every gen con since the D and D minis line was launched. And what he would did was he painted a feature mini out of one of the sets. So if the set was whatever set was popular at that time, you would take two of the rares and custom paint them and mount them on wooden, on, on the wooden bases and, nice. you know, stones on there and, and weeds and stuff. And then he would provide those to winners of the tournament. So those guys at wizards of the coast knew him for quite some time. And then he applied for a role to be one of the miniatures guys at wizards. And that's how he got in there. Now he's working on magic. Uh, but he did Ravenloft. He did Lords Waterdeep. He did uh, the Dragon one, the Lord Ashron. Ashron's Call or whatever. whatever. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, I digress. But it's a great game. If you haven't had the chance to play it, it's a good game for even those that are not in D anD D, right? Because you don't have to play the meta piece, right? It's there. You don't need to know D anD D. Anyways. If cool. you or your listeners are looking for urban quests and adventures, the board game has literally scores of quest cards you can glean inspiration from. Stopping an underground drow slave trade, thwarting the uprising of a diabolical cult, clearing the crypts of undead beneath Temple X, confronting the Xanathar, etc., etc. So in Lords of Waterdeep, part of what you're supposed to do is complete quests. Those quests have corresponding highlights. Um, where they may have like warfare and you are one of the Lords of Waterdeep. And if you complete a warfare quest, you get a boat, you get bonus points at the end of the game. Well, it's uh, just a cool idea. I've, I've done a similar thing with the, uh, murder city game. I ran, I stole some of the background and so forth directly from the white wolf, uh, board game, murder city. I never actually played the board game. I just, I had it read. I went, Ooh, this is really cool. I could ma- I could use this as a basis for an RPG. And having Lords of Waterdeep, I mean, this is another good reason. If you want to run an urban game, you're like, boy, I don't know what kind of adventures to run. It apparently has quest cards, which are nothing but adventures that you can run in a massive city. That's really, really cool. Uh, Another idea also occurred to me while listening. What about an urban campaign that sticks to urban settings, uh, but transitions to different cities? For example, it could start in Daggerford with something small for levels one to three, then move to Waterdeep, hand-waving the mundane travel on the road from the village to the city for levels four to eight, 
Then travel through some discovered magic portal to Sigil, the City of Doors, for levels 9 to 13. Then onwards to the City of Brass, the City of Dis, Gloomrot, uh, Tunarath, uh, Hestvar, Batorian, Jangling, Hyder, etc. All via Sigil's portals and other teleportation circles, no need for any mundane travel. With intermittent hooks bringing them back to Waterdeep or Sigil in between. Uh, could provide nearly infinite variety without ever leaving city environs. Would love to hear your thoughts on this idea. I love it. That's my first thought on that idea. That is that is really, really a good idea. Yeah, screw all that travel, right. man. And yeah, if you got it mapped out and you have those connections, which I think a couple other people are going to mention here in a bit. Um, yeah, that's, I don't know what else to say. It sounds like a good plan to me. It's a totally good plan. I mean, you take something from Lords of Waterdeep, like, hey, underground drow slave trade, which then leads me from there to find out that the actual masters are the mind flayers, the illithids are involved. And guess what? Those fuckers are also connected to the hags, which are in sigil, which are selling lemurs and blah, 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 blah. And next thing you know, you're spanning all over the freaking place trying to find out what's going on and who's doing a thing. And it, hell, it could be a, a Sarah the Demi-Lich for all we know. Very cool. I love it. Keep going. So, lastly, surprise uh, springboarding off my imaginings of an extra planar cities campaign. I thought I would ask you guys about adding to your discussions list the topic of planar travel in our games. Could be a big one, which you may might want to separate into a few related topics for different episodes. But I thought it would be, engender some good conversation and spark some good ideas. I've been listening since the beginning with episode one, and I don't remember an episode dedicated to the planes. But forgive me, I've simply if I've simply forgotten. Keep dishing out the awesome BS. Awesome. So it's, well, that's two it in a row. Like James and Corey, yeah, James and Corey want to talk about planar travel. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, we have not done. We have not done an episode on planar travel. We've not talked about that. We have that's not. Cool. No, that's a damn good idea. That goes in the bin. Next up is Forrester Gary. He emailed us and said, hey, guys, really, really dig the most recent episode on fantasy gaming in the urban environment. This is, hands down, my favorite type of setting. Oh, that's sweet. As I was listening, I was taking a few notes, which may or may not hit on the issues you were talking about. Apologies if some of this is repetitive of the things you said. Sorry, not sorry. (laughs) I love Forrest. Number one, cities change, and sometimes they change rapidly because there are so many people crowded into such a condensed space. Fluctuations in the economy and and political changes have a direct effect on characters. Costs go up and down. Businesses where the PCs might have had contacts contacts, uh, go out of business. Curfews might be imposed, etc. That's one thing I love about those settings. They're never static. Dungeons are static, but not cities. Number two, uh, you mentioned expanding out and and down into the sewers, etc. But one thing that is often forgotten about is this uh, about cities that they're built up. A city is a three-dimensional environment. Some of the best adventures I've run have been a result of this. Thieves climb walls. Mages might have magical means to go up the outside of a building and spy on those inside, or even break in themselves. And a grappling hook and rope become essential adventuring tools. However, cities are also cramped. An alley may be totally dark. Do you have the ability to blind fight? Caltrops and a bag of marbles can be used to devastating effect on pursuers, including the PCs. Cities are nasty because every nook and cranny in every direction might hold danger. Three. City is not a dungeon. You hit on this, but it bears repeating. If you cast fireball in the city, you're going to cause collateral damage, and the civil authorities are going to be pissed. Be prepared to pay hefty fines or worse. Number four, that said, not all authorities are city officials. In many cities, gangs run the show. 
Be careful who you mess with. That hobo on the corner just might be an informant. And a Cor- Corleone family might not is not going to like you for messing with their informant. The bad guys are not just out in the open. They are uh, like they are in a dungeon. They're mostly hidden among the population. So you have to be very careful who you interact with and how you treat people. Number five, speaking of how you treat people, one thing you'll probably never find in a dungeon is high society sorry. You, you might find, uh, but you might just find one in the city. If you need to get in and interact well with others, you might uh, be sorry that you took a charisma as your dump stat, you big dummy. <laughs> Very good point. And speaking of cities, I'm taking over DM duties in the AD&D 2nd Edition campaign I'm in. We'll be traveling to, guess where? Greyhawk. Awesome. I love Greyhawk. I do not know if I can call it railroading because they're getting there by ship, but they will end up there. Maybe I should call it uh, galley whipping. <laughs> anyway, once we get there, I have all the options I need as a DM for some great adventuring. Who needs a mega dungeon? I can run a great adventure in the confines of one house if needed. It's all really about focusing on the details of the setting, on personal interaction and role-playing, and emphasizing the use of skills and methods that might not get utilized in a traditional dungeon. Adventure awaits, and it's just around the corner. I love that stuff, Forrest. Thank you, sir. Yes. Next one's for you, Sean. Angela Murray. Hey, guys. I really appreciated the Urban Campaigns episode. The 5th edition D&D game my group has been playing is an urban campaign. At first, I was skeptical, but the GM has really made the game sing. It's set in his homebrew campaign world and uses many threads and from previous campaigns, including one where my changeling rogue became both the king's spymaster and queen of thieves. Our current campaign deals in part with the aftermath of the destruction of a very powerful assassin's guild and the jockeying for power that happened after that. One point I wanted to make about urban campaigns is that you need to show how closely knit everything is. People are packed in tight, and that merchant may be paying protection to that group of toughs who have bought off a guard that has a thing for a young woman in the local bordello, bordello who also sees a noble from uptown that you get the picture. The GM from game from our game actually borrowed the conspiramid from Knights Black Agents to prep for the campaign, establishing the web of intrigue that's happening in the background. We've that's only, a really good idea. It's yeah, a very good idea. That is a great idea. Uh, we've only scratched the surface of what's really going on, but we've already dealt with demonic cults, a secret society within the city guard, a necromantic uh, artifact, slavers stealing people from the streets, and rival thieves guilds. Basically, when doing an urban campaign, it helps if you at least sketch out the connections between various groups to help make it feel like a real messy city environment. Very good stuff, Ange, as always. Yeah, you got to map that stuff out, I think. Absolutely. I think somebody mentioned um, mind maps before, kind of using the mind map tools. There's different ones out there. But something that Cos Pyramid, I can't remember if I mentioned the Cos Pyramid or not. I think the, uh, the sexy voice man. Ah, uh, yes, it was Serrano, Mr. Sexy Voice Christian Serrano. See how I don't even the, have uh, to say his name. He's just no, like, you don't. Everyone knows, everyone knows who that is. Yeah, it's Sexy Voice Serrano, Christian. Now <laughs> <laughs> he's going to give me grief because I'm even. That's, my, that's me... my Christian Sexy Voice Serrano voice. <laughs> that's, just, that's almost as bad as your uh, New Zealand or Australian. I got, I, I'm a GM, man. I'm full of them. Full of them. You're full of something. Yeah, yeah. All right. Fateful Mike, he emailed us. It's a greetings and happy holidays, boys. 
been uh, been busy, such as life does. However, wanted to get some advice from the best damn gaming podcast I know on two subjects. Whew. Laying it on thick there at the beginning. Must be yeah, really desperate. Holy Sean. my gosh. <sighs> number one, I love superhero genre games. Starting with a, a hero a number of years ago and will uh, run another around the around December 19th. I'm still in the ropes when it comes to what system to run it because it'll fall into a playtest situation for most of my group. My group I play and run, the group I play and run for are used to D20 style games. Our last two were Pathfinder and currently Palladium Rifts. Hooy! The problem I run into is half our players find the system overwhelming and to some it can be. I have been doing research into more simpler systems and I've narrowed it down to a few. However, should I go simple and stick with D20-esque or stay in their experience level? Savage Worlds, Necessary Evil, Apocalypse Engine, Masks, Palladium, Heroes Unlimited, Unions of Masterminds, and of course, Fate, Venture City. Anything else you could recommend? Anything to stay away from? I think if they like D20 style stuff and you want to move a little bit away from it, Savage Worlds or Palladium. And, um, I do not know Mutants and Masterminds. D20. D20. It's uh, actually originally was taken after True 20. That's right. But I don't know how it's changed from the editions from one okay. to the next. I think they're on fourth or fifth edition of Mutants and Masterminds, if I'm not mistaken. So if you want to get away from D20, I would think Savage Worlds might be a good jump, right? Savage Worlds is going to be pulpy. It's going to play. It's going to be Fast Furious and all that good stuff. And I think it will play supers really, really well. I do not like superhero games. I'm not a big superhero games guy. I'll play them. I have run them in the past. It's been a very long time. It's not a genre I jump to usually. Sean, do you play superhero games? I have not as well. So I do have uh, an associate of mine, Mr. Brian, who has run Necessary Evil um, for folks. I think the I think one of the things you're going to run into, and I think that's kind of what you're posing fateful is, uh, whether they, whether you go with what they kind of know and what they want to do like D 20 ish, or whether you want to spin off onto something that you mentioned. So I think you're kind of facing a couple things and there's TSR, Marvel superheroes. Um, I think Mo, oh, God. Mo point, from back in the day. Yeah. Mo, Mo Tusano points out, um, I mean, there's plenty of supers games. Not even there's even more than than you've listed. Oh, you want to go super fucking crunch? You go champions, dude. When every, oh yeah, every, champions. Every yeah. round has twelve segments, and everybody can move on different segments within a round. And there's a algorithm that you do to make a character. Well, and you could do you could do Marvel Cortex, which a lot of people liked that game. The the thing is, is that you were encouraged to play characters from the Marvel universe. You weren't really. I mean, you could create your own. There were yeah. things. There was a part of the book that told you how to, but typically you would just pick Correct. up what your what yours was. But anyways, that was for Margaret Weiss. Um, so I think the first question is to your group, is it got to be kind of that rule set that they're familiar with? Because if they're not wanting to budge from that, it kind of answers your question. If they're willing to try something else, then you've got all the options to kind of look at. Um, and then you're, you know, your group best, how far away from D 20 do you want to get? I mean, you want to run fate. Yeah. I mean, sometimes, sometimes the, the apocalypse stuff, you know, masks wouldn't, may not be a bad idea either because it's story-based. One of the cool things that can come from going from Pathfinder and Rifts 
and that type of uh, crunch game, whatever. When you go superheroes or you change genres so drastically from Pathfinder, at least I would consider it drastic, from a fantasy game or to a sci-fi game, and suddenly, boom, you're playing superheroes. When you do that, it might not be a bad time to change systems just because then people, I would anyway, this is Brett talking, I would associate Savage Worlds then with, hey, this Savage Worlds is the game system I use for my superhero games. I honestly think Savage Worlds would play a goddamn good superhero game. I think that would be a lot of fun. Uh, Mutants and Masterminds, not a bad idea. Uh, D20-ish, because if your crew really wants to stay in there, from what Sean said, that makes sense. But uh, you know what, Sean? I think it it might be worth posting this out or posing it out to our listeners at large. Once this drops, if people have better ideas than Sean and I for what poor faithful Mike should do or could do in this space, I'd love to hear it and uh, hit us with it. And we'll be happy to pass it on to him through the show or uh, through posting. Yeah. And I got it backwards on, on uh, mutants and masterminds. What I was thinking of was uh, black uh, blue rose, the original blue rose. Eesh, I yeah, don't True know. 20 was derived from that. And then um, um, I think, and then mutants, uh, mutants and mastermind came before that. And and Angela's real- correcting me. So. There's uh, Villains and Vigilantes, which oh, yeah. I, uh Jeff T's game. Um, they're just re- relaunching it. Yeah, there's a ton of really cool stuff out there. I just don't know it. I just flat don't know it. Um, I think it might be a good opportunity to break for you anyway, uh, Mike, if you break from the D20 type of thing to try something different. Savage World still has your different dice. You know, it's got the dice chainy type of thing going down. It doesn't go so different to an Apocalypse World game where you're just down to 2d6, right? And sometimes something as mundane as, hey, throw away all those other dice and just bring two six-siders to the table can be can cause cognitive dissonance <laughs> in certain people. And sometimes bringing all your regular dice to the table and then playing Savage Worlds might be a good approach. So I don't, that's, I'm sorry, man, that's the best as I can get. I didn't yeah. know much more. Well, and the problem is if we said, hey, stay away from this game, somebody's going to say, what are you talking about? That's like the greatest game ever. Like, you know, I think it's like Brett mentioned Champions being like, I mean, it's a big book and it's. It's be, crunchy. It's can be cr- crunchy, but your guys, uh, your group may be like, yeah, man, aces. And they may, we may oh, say, totally. oh, you know, no, I'd stay away from that. And then all of a sudden you pitch them that game and they're like, woo, yeah, this is awesome. So let us know what you choose and how it goes. Yeah, because I think if, um, Sean, I've talked about this before off the mics. I think this is one of the areas, there's probably a plethora of areas in the gaming hobby where we have weak spots. And this is, I know, definitely one of mine. I am not a big superheroes guy Well, uh, for my gaming. I love my comic books and all that stuff, but I don't do a lot of superhero gaming. But then you can get into, you know, what, five color, you can get into street level, like. Yeah, it could be like uh, Netflix Daredevil versus, yeah, Marvel Cinematic Universe. You can get crazy or whatever. So, right. yeah, there's different variations on that theme. Good luck. Yeah. Mike goes on, though. He has a point two here. He says, uh, for you World of Darkness enthusiasts, if you look at that at the Universal Studios Universe of Monsters, you have the assigned uh, game from World of Darkness, such as Dracula equals Vampire, Wolfman equals Werewolf, etc. What would the Invisible Man fall under? Would the creature from the Black Lagoon fall under uh, uh, Beast the Primordial? What others do you see fitting into an existing game set or ones that you do not? Hmm. Damn. Um. I. Who? That's an odd question. I've not even thought about that. <sighs> hmm. Uh, I'm going to think about it. I defer. John doesn't, uh, John doesn't know enough about the world of darkness. I'm going to have to think about it. 
I think if you look at like the Invisible Man, you have the potential for you know magic reality bending kind of gone awry. You've got Mage, which can cover a lot of different things. Creature from the Black Lagoon uh, could go into uh, Werewolf, and so far as it could be a creature of the Worm, it could be some nasty, horrible um, chaos type of thing, which is the the Worm. From there, you could also have um, the creature from the Black Lagoon could also fall into. I'm thinking older school, of course. Um, <sighs> shit, uh, changeling. It could even be a, a type of change, like a slua. Slua, the uh, water-based changelings, could be in there. Invisible man could also, uh, also conceivably fall under changeling as well. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I've got to noodle on this one a bit more, Mike. Thanks, man. This gives me something, something a little challenging to think through. All right, I'll think about it. All kinds of all kinds of inquiries for World of Darkness. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. I, <laughs> I know it's a popular game system still. I I have not played it in a very long time. Um, but it's it's actually crazy. Yeah, we have had a number of different people asking about it recently. All right. That wraps up random encounters. Let's get into main topic. Absolutely. Spellcasting, what? Yeah, creative spellcasting. I'm talking about the limits, the bends, the how much you allow people to manipulate and in general just plain fuck about with spells in your game. You ready? Uh, I'm ready, man. I'm ready. <laughs> Put me in, coach. <laughs> so I'm talking about using, an, using a spell here in a way that is not an approved slash defined effect within the spell description. So uh, thinking, you're playing outside the rules. Playing outside the uh, defined spell description or stretching the defined spell description a little bit or conceivably playing outside the rules. Player player, or GM on this? Both. Oh. Oh. Or using the spells to create a new or non-defined effect, right? So not only just, hey, um, I want to use this to try to do X or, um, you know, to stop the bad guy. I also want to use it to maybe... You know, darkness does a thing. Maybe I want to stretch it to do something else. There's players are, cre- are sneaky, right? And game masters are, are uh, sneaky folks too. And we're trying to get different ways and and uh, uh, opportunities and trying to milk these um, these spells and so forth the best we can. I think in um, using D and D is kind of the um, basis for the discussion. Now I know there are other game systems that spells can be like they're wide open. Right. I mean, you, you look at the uh, speaking of World of Darkness, look at Mage or Amber, even spells have a massive, wide, crazy variety of things you can do. In my um, my bad magic game, spells could do almost anything you could describe. We simply assigned difficulty based on the description or what it is you're trying to accomplish. So I'm talking, though, more about the ones that are defined in this case. And I know that some games will define them tighter or looser than others. I don't want to talk about absolute freeform spellcasting. I want to try to keep it down to something that has a definition. Does that make sense, Sean? Brad, you always make sense, man. <laughs> You're the most <laughs> congenial liar I've ever met. You're great. Dude, I'm like Andy Richter over here, man. Oh, I love this... that guy. He's funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that, Brad. He's great. Uh, yeah, man. No, it's good stuff. Do you So in your games, when... What do you think of when a player says, hey, the spell does X. I want to make it do Y. What do you, oh. you just say, hey, 
Hey, give me your ticket. Get just, back in your fucking train car. I'm just like, man, when, when are they going to get, when, you know, part of me doing this podcast, Brett is hoping my players listen to this crap. So that way, when we sit down at the table, they know the deal. Just get the shit through your thick fucking skull. <laughs> There's no other way to do it. Episode 118. Way. I want to reference, get, get, just pull it up on your phone right now. And listen to it. I'll go, right, go. Yeah. Once, whenever. Yeah. What if this 117, one? 32 minutes it. in, just hit play. Sean says it was not in the description. So I did have you- a player. I did have a player though. Side note. I had a player that would kind of bring up different things. And this was during player creation, which drove me absolutely nuts. And I had lunch with him today. My old buddy, Jeff, who he would take it out of the third party books, you know, Mongoose is like how to, you know, the super awesome guide to paladins pull out all kinds of crazy shit out of that book. I'd be like, Hey, I'm going to do this. And he, you know, it's all this craziness. And I'm like, wait a minute, man, what are you doing? I had to put, I got to get the kibosh on that crap. See, when it comes to some of those things, we've talked about character gen before to me, character gen is kind of, it has to fit within the, uh, the world's boundaries, right? If they're, if you're paladin, your spellcaster, like, look, um, Everyone learns their magic because of the their blood. They're all like sorcerers from D&D 3.0 and so forth. But I don't want to be like that. Then you can't be a mage in this game because that's just how this world works, right? There's certain settings in a world that may have defined definitions to it. But when a player says, hey, I want to use spider climb and I want to use it to give me a bonus on my picking pockets roll. Can I do that? What's your what's your initial response to that? Oh, you gave me the you gave me the what the fuck face. No, that's, that, what, that's this your is, initial response. God, I don't Just stare blankly at them, like what? What is wrong with you? How dare you ask me such a thing? That's yeah. That's my. That is exactly my reaction. Do you get players that do that though, or do they? Or at this point, are they just their creativity is so crushed they don't bother to ask <laughs> they you? Get, they don't get that <laughs> ridiculous. But I do. I do. I don't mind the creativity piece of it. I really don't. Like, there's a couple of folks in the chat room that are talking about it. Like Moe's talking about one character casting grease. And then casting, you know, fire upon that grease, right? To light. Oh, that's a cl- that's a classic. You know, right? some yeah. of those. I I like those the synergy pieces. Although I think Five E nuked quite a bit of those because there's a concentration element to it now. Where yes. you know, spell requires concentration. You try to do another spell, you break that one, right? So I don't mind that synergy piece and the stuff that's kind of unique and creative that way. But you know, hey, can I, you, you know climb walls to pick up somebody's pocket, man, get that shit out of here. Hey, get yeah, that shit a, out. Come on, man. Come on. Dragon, That'll be crazy, man. There's an old dragon magazine I have where it talked about creative spell use. And one of the things that somebody had talked about, the author talked about was he had a, um, a rogue had, um, they're f- facing a dragon or some creature with a big horde. And he put cat end up getting spider climb cast on him simply so he could run barefoot across the dragon's horde and pick up as many gold coins as possible. Cause his feet were sticky. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's kind of kind of clever. And uh, I would I would day, so have to think about that for like I, oh, I'm like okay, hold on a second. You're, you're gonna you're gonna be able to do that, but let me I gotta go to the bathroom. Let me, let me think and about what I'm gonna do. Let me think of how thing. there's gonna be a drawback to that. Like, oh, if they stick to your feet running across, you're not gonna be able to get them off, or it's nope. gonna be a while, or you're gonna hit the regular pavement. It's gonna go clicky 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 all the way down yep. the hall. So in a game that's very OSR-based, where it's rulings and not rules, right, part of the experience of that type of game, or anything that's looser defined, right, even if you take a spell's def- definite, defined 
thing. It does X. And then trying to stretch it in certain ways is part and parcel for that, right? <clears throat> like if you had grease and I could cast it and I said, well, grease basically is, it's kind of like a thick liquid, right? Yeah. Well, I'm going to cast it, you know, and I want to kind of make sure and see how it, how it rolls. Does it like drip down the cracks in this floor or whatever is because then there might be a pit trap there or, Hey, it could be this. You, you trying to use the few resources you have at your disposal to survive or to get past this, this weird thing. Cause oftentimes you will get, you get challenges in certain games or lots of games. You get a challenge and your goal as players, like I want to figure out how my character overcomes this challenge. He's going to use everything at his or her disposal. And, and she's going to look through her spell book and go, Hey, I have Featherfall. I got an idea. I'm going to do blah. And therefore I can use Featherfall to get me out of this. You know, it just, it's one of those things where you stretch the, you stretch a little bit in a creative way to make a really cool thing happen. I think there's boundaries on it. And I think sometimes it's kind of like an art where you know it when you see it, where the boundaries are. Does that make sense to you? Or it what do you think? totally does, man. I am, I'm wholly on board. Until it gets too too kooky and crazy. So I got um, one of my favorite bits on this more recent one. Uh, back in uh, when Kobold uh, Quarterly was a magazine. This is episode, the fall 2009, episode 11. Uh, episode, excuse me, issue 11. Monty Cook had a uh, had a Game Theories article in here. So I'm going to read something from our buddy Monty. Oh, good old cookie. Um, this is a section he had about the spirit of the rules. He says he remembers once running a game in a convention at second edition uh, AD&D. He had a troublesome player that seemed to have adopted his goal to prove that he knew the game better than I did, and frankly, he probably did. Anyway, get to this climactic encounter that I designed, says Monty, with a big red dragon. The player announced with a look of snide pride that he casts water breathing on the dragon. That it gets no saving throw, and then it dies of suffocation. End of scenario. <laughs> I told him to look that spell up and show me where it said the dragon couldn't also breathe air while under the effects of the spell, knowing full well that it didn't say that. <laughs> and I told him, even if it did say that, I still wouldn't allow it because it wouldn't be keeping with the spirit of the rules. Water breathing isn't meant to be an offensive spell. He looked at me like I was insane. I love that. The rest of the articles, it's, it's fun. It's a, it's a damn good article. And um, Cobalt Quarterly, I believe you can still get them off of their website. You can get PDFs and so forth of the old mags. But that, I think, is an example of where it reminds me of my high school days where someone would be like, oh, this spell makes you breathe water. It doesn't say you can breathe air at the same time. Therefore, you can only breathe water. Ha! I cast it on you. No saving through. You die. And then you'd have this mage. I honestly, this brought, I, I remember somebody in high school trying to do this, and we would break down and have this nasty argument with half the party in the in the game master one side going, that's fucking stupid. And the, the one player and a couple other players going, no, that's just being creative, man. He's just thinking outside the box. It's a really good idea. The spell clearly doesn't say that. And these are the same guys that, you know, were ignoring encumbrance and every other rule that was in yeah, the book. Right, right. But choosing specifically only to acknowledge. Not dealing with one. weapon speed or any of that other crap. And exactly. 30, exactly. 350 pounds of gear on them. Exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> Excuse me. So it's kind of it's kind of a, a wonky version of rules lawyering, right? Where that spell, that description becomes a thing that you want to argue for its defensive, but you want to hand wave other rules that uh, happen to be inconvenient for you at the time. So I think the limit, if I were to say what's the limit for how Brett would allow creative spell usage in his game, D&D or, or whatever, I think it comes down to the spirit of the rule set. You know, hey, that's water breathing. It's not meant to kill people. It's not really designed to do that. It's not going to work. Or, 
or I should say, and it's also the, uh, the setting itself, the, the game, the adventure, the story, everything else that's happening around it, it doesn't work. And the danger though, of that is that Sean has a really cool storyline going along. We're rolling. And then somebody is really creative with how they utilize a spell or some magical effect. And I completely quote unquote beat Sean's scenario or I win in some way that stops Sean cold, right? <clears throat> the train ee, derail clunk. We're off the tracks. We're totally off the tracks because of this one power or this one thing. And I think some of uh, some magics, um, like you said, some of them stacked and had persistency or different things that could kind of chunk on top of each other could back in the uh, 3.0 and the Pathfinder and so forth could make that perhaps harder. But I think as a game master, if you stifle too much, like if you go, no, 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 it doesn't say specifically that it can do that. Therefore, it can't do that every time. That is a slap in the player's face. I don't think that's a good idea. No, I agree. As heavy handed as I usually am for players, it's usually with good reason. Not <laughs> because a, you know what's best for them. <laughs> God damn it. I'm protecting them from themselves is my rationale in my brain, even though Sean, it doesn't come out that way. Sean also makes players eat lima beans and green beans and cauliflower at the table because he knows they're not getting enough vegetables. God damn it. He's going to make sure these men and women are healthy. I know what's best for him. You know what's best for him. <laughs> no, I do agree though. I think you gotta, you gotta let the player do their thing. If they're going to come up with something original, that's all cool and dandy. But at the same time, too much of that heavy handedness. I mean, if I did that for every game that I GM, I wouldn't have any players. <laughs> that's true. I mean, let's face it. I mean, they're going to tell me to go pound sand. I'll tell you though, the cool, a cool thing about allowing a level of creativity is, Again, not saying, even if you're like, well, okay, water breathing, no, it won't kill the dragon. It'll cause him to be stunned, perhaps, if he fails a save. I'll, I'll give the dragon a save if he fails and he's stunned for D4 rounds. Okay, yeah, all right, yeah, the sudden loss of being able to breathe for an instant before he shakes the effects. Oh, okay, yeah, you can have some weird <laughs> physics discussion or some logic discussion around it, right? But that's part of the agreement you can have at a table. You can have that discussion. At least I would. Sean would just say, fuck off, and they'd never allow it. But there is a reward that you can do, even if it's not giving the player everything that they want that creative thing to do, right? They're really pushing the boundary of the spirit of what that spell is supposed to do or, or as defined. And in doing so, you may say, hey, you don't get all of it. You get 75%. Or, yeah, but I'm going to let the person have a saving throw, even though it says they shouldn't. Or there's only a percent chance of a fact or something. There's ways to essentially nerf, if you will, the craziness. But, but still letting the player have a shot at doing something, kind of tone it down or put something around it. <laughs> I just keep thinking of this player <clears throat> that's going to like cast create water with a range of, you know, whatever the range is for create water, like in somebody's body. Like it doesn't say that the body will stop it. Oh yeah. That was like, Meg, that was like, oh, so speaking of counter, so they drown because it takes well, like a teaspoon of water to drown somebody. Yeah. So that's again, <laughs> So speaking of comic books, when Magneto ripped uh, Wolverine's adamantine skeleton out of him, because he goes, I can do that. There was a episode of uh, an episode, an issue of a comic book where uh, Magneto, again, pulled all the iron out of somebody's blood and killed him. Because mm. it's metal and he can do that. Um, <laughs> at a certain point, I'm like, holy fuck, he could do that. Why does he just kill everybody like that? That's freaking crazy. Um, 
but again, that it's a it's a creative thing. Sometimes it only works once. Sometimes it's um, for the moment. You know, it, it's a really cool thing that's happening right now. We may never be able to duplicate or replicate the exact um, events that allowed it to occur. The flip side, of course, <coughs> excuse me, is that if your players can do it, the NPCs can do it too. So when the players have done something creative with Featherfall, Grease, um, uh, Firefinger, whatever, some cantrip or whatever it is, those things you can lock and we go. And when you hear that, you go, wow, that's really cool. I wonder if, what would happen if they did this other thing instead. Ooh, I like that. I'm going to lock that away. And this other bad guy is going to use it. Because if it's what's good for one is good for the other. And again, is that if the players are allowed to be creative and tweak and do things, you're setting the stage, you're setting the precedence within the world that this is allowed up to a certain boundary, sometimes a squishy boundary. You can kind of bounce off over of stretch, but the bad guys can do that too. The NPCs can push a little bit. And that then as a game master lets you take something that is very run of the mill, um, a magic missile spell done or tweaked in a weird way or a fireball or something that usually has a very bam, bam, bam. This is what happens. I do this thing. Then that occurs when you find a way or players do something creative, you can then do a similar thing, which again, if it's keeping with the world and the setting and everything, it makes it seem really, really cool. Cause that only happens here in Avalon. It only happens in Sean's world. That's really cool. Um, but then the players get to experience it on the other end and be challenged in turn by the crazy creative NPC that you've made. <laughs> yeah. What? I just, <laughs> I just, just like, <laughs> thinking of ways to fuck with them now. No, I just always get a kick out of like, okay, all right, you're going to get creative. You want to let this stuff fly. Okay. Oh, that's how I, you want to play? That's how you want it? That's how you want it? <laughs> yeah. You want to go? You want to go, player? Come on, player. Step up. Yeah. Yeah, bring it. That's where Sean's at. <laughs> well, I mean, kind of. Yeah. I mean, at times, it's it's all good until it's reciprocated, I think. Sometimes, yeah. When the player goes, oh, wait a minute. You can't use feather fall like that. Go wait, whoa, whoa, whoa! You guys use spider climb to rob a dragon's horde. Uh, well, yeah, he can use feather fall this way. You know, some. I mean, I think you know, Christian mentions it in the chat room where it's like you can always say, "Yeah, hey, you can try it and see what happens." I mean, yeah, I don't know, right? But and when you're a wizard and you have to memorize spells, especially in some of the older editions, I mean, you cast it, it's gone. Uh, yep. And so you're like, ooh, I'm going to try this. This is what's going to happen. And all of a sudden, poof. Well, it wasn't the effect that they they expected. And then all of a sudden, their spells lost. And it's like, oh, shit, that sucked. It's like, yeah, it's, you got this exactly. big, huge, you know, delusions I'm of grandeur. Gonna, and then it's like, poof. Yeah, I'm going to cast water breathing, kill a dragon. <laughs> Nothing happens. Motherfucker. <laughs> I just wasted my entire round. And the player looks, looks to your left and goes, you have fucking lightning bolt, you dick. What is wrong with you? Water breathing? Really? You know? Yeah, that's, the players, that's what you got. The, the rest of the players turn on the turn on that player and, and beat he or she to death with a rule book. Um, <laughs> but there, there's something, it's neat, and I like to encourage it, right? Because it's creative play, and I don't, instead of it always being kind of like, hey, the video game says I, I click this button, I cast fireball, I do this thing, it does this, I do this, it does this. Pushing it, stretching a little bit, and to your point, to I think it was Christian that said it, was the, hey, okay, you can try that. There's no guarantee it will work, and maybe there's a mechanic that you can build into that for a D20 game, for a D&D, a 5e, where you could say, well, okay, I will give them, if they have a saving throw and it's creative, maybe they get advantage on said saving throw. 
because it's it's an effect that's you're twisting your screwing something with the spell, making it harder. Or you could say, yeah, you could do that, but you're going to have to cast it um, from three spell slots higher or something. There probably is a way to codify and uh, put something to it mechanic wise to enforce it, especially if it's something that the player would want to do over and over and over again. Sometimes it's like, hey, water breathing, we used it this way. It was really cool. I'd like to do that all the time. Then maybe you're like, well, okay, if you're going to do that, let's put some, this sounds like spell research. What's the rules for spell research? What's the rules for custom spell building? You can pull that stuff up and you can dig into it. Hey, I stumbled upon a thing in, in the heat of passion during one of my adventures. I figured out that I could use Featherfall to um, kill an ogre. It was freaking crazy. It worked though. Okay, great. This is fodder for you to go back and then start developing a new spell. That's called the floating death or whatever the fuck you want to call it. But you know what I'm saying, Sean? You, there's, there are rules that you could then take and you could kind of not cram into place, but you could force. <laughs> sounds totally getting Sean here. You force the players to follow the goddamn rules. <laughs> <laughs> but there's there's mechanics there that you could that you could leverage, right? Sure. I Yes. And I do think that some of this, I mean, just comes down to the magic system that you're using. I mean- that's kind of the goofiness of it all. If we're just going to hone in on the kind of Vancean piece and D&D, right, then then yep. that takes one set. But if you're talking, you know, mana points and all this other stuff, it's a whole other game. Yeah, I've had players with mana point systems saying, well, you know what? This spell only takes two mana, but I'm going to dump all ten mana into it because I really want – there's no rule. There was no house rule. The spell itself had no, that was it. It only takes two mana to cast. Nothing happens if you dump 10 into it by definition. But the player really wants a kick-ass thing to occur, and they're willing to dump all 10 of their mana points into this fireball. Seems like you should reward that. They're doing something, right? They're getting, it's a huge climactic thing. They're trying to enact a uh, beautiful, heroic thing, and why not give them something for it, right? Sure. Sure. Or, <laughs> yes. Yes. Give it, give them something. Or the other thing to say is like, look, it, it won't work. You can look at the player and say, look, all other mana points will just simply be lost. That's not how it works. Oh, really? Yeah. I wouldn't do that spell if I were you that way, because you do that. It only takes two mana points to cast that fireball. If you dump all 10 into it, you're just blowing eight mana points for no freaking reason. There's no reason you can't have that discussion as well. You don't have to necessarily let the player get away with whatever it is that they want to do just because they're really passionate about it. You can say, okay, great idea. However, the tool you have isn't the right one for the job. You can put all the leverage you want on that crescent wrench, but you still can't, you know, change the tank treads. That's just not how that works. You know, that's not how that's going to go. Yeah, man. Let them, let them like they spend all their points, man. Let them bleed through their nose and pass out. Like, oh, hey, that's cool, man. You blow it all in one shot, and now you're unconscious for, like, you're just unconscious. You don't know when you're going to wake up. The party comes over, rubs sniffing salts <laughs> in front of their nose, and, you know, that person's KO'd for a while. That was classic in my uh, old World of Darkness games where you had willpower, and the, the guys, I was loose one day, and somebody said, I want to spend all my willpower, and I really want to make sure this happens. And I could not, for life me at the time, remember what the rule was. Heat of whatever it was, was sure, okay, boom. And the guy had said, I don't care if I'm just a vegetable afterwards or a mushroom and a willless zombie. I just, this has to work. 
So, and then at a certain point, people are like, all right, I'm going full mushroom on this one. And they just would <laughs> dump all their willpower to make this happen, knowing full well that they were just vulnerable to anything and everything. And it became a house rule of how we utilized it in the World of Darkness games. But it was a thing you could, essentially a, a spell, if you will, that had an effect that we as a group decided that if you go all in, the negative effects, to your point, Sean, were pretty fucking bad. You were susceptible to almost anybody pushing you or asking you to do anything. You had no driving will behind anything. It was really, it was not good. Similar, similar thing, right? You cast it all. It's almost like a DCC spell burn type of thing, right? That's it. Cut off a cut off two fingers and a pound of my <laughs> and gouge out an eye. I hope this works. Yeah, know? corruption, man. Yeah, exactly. Uh another thing is, is if you're gaming with player characters, you're usually not the only you're not the lone wizard out in the middle of a room ready to go nuclear on the the baddies. Usually you got some partners around you. Man, you you pump it up if it's a mana type system or you get creative. It's not just going to be affecting the the baddies in the the room. Yeah, that could be. <laughs> do you want to do this? I mean, do you even give them a warning? Like, hey, we, we want to play this way. All right, you sure? Okay, it could no, be. that's something I want to do. This is totally going to be awesome. Off-label spell usage may have unpredictable results. <laughs> Five dead halfling party members layer. Motherfucker! <laughs> God damn you, Brett! Sorry, I thought it would work. I mean, that's totally possible. You could do that too. People can. Do a thing and have it just absolutely blow up on the party, right? I, <laughs> I, I've had more than one fireball dropped on me inadvertently or advertently by players. I had a character who died um, at, because of a uh, firestorm spell type of thing in a game, and I was just happened to be on the edge, on the fringe of it. The character pushed it a little too far, and there I died. So, I mean, there could be some horrible ramifications for pushing the, uh, again, to quote, to uh, paraphrase the misdirect marks, guys, you know, the off-label uses of your spell, mileage may vary. I got to say, though, those, these things we're talking about, some of the examples, not all the examples, right? Even just folks that are going to come up with ones after listening to this, maybe they won't. But those, <laughs> those games are the ones that get talked about forever. Oh, they totally do. Like, oh, I remember this time we did this, and the wizard cast like this, and they went like, you know, they detoured here backwards, and it like, I don't know, ripped the time, <laughs> the the time continuum in half, and then like the guy split in half. And, oh, it was so awesome! And it was like the end of the campaign. Boom. Yeah, I had a I had a thief one time use a bag of devouring and uh, dropped it over Demi Lich's floating skull head. Or even a bag of holding, just like yeah, whoop, right bag, over their head. Bag of holding. I'm like, oh, it's a bag of holding. He goes, no, Brett, this is the bag of devouring. It destroys everything that goes in. We're sort of like reading the rules. And go, fuck this. Is, wham! Half the party dies from the explosion. The demiurge is like catapulted into another thing. It was crazy, but that is. A, I'm still talking about it now, and this happened five years ago. Right there, you go. That game, cursed item. I, I don't see it as cursed. Oh yeah, sure. Took all my shit. Ah, I got something for this thing. Yeah, son of a bitch. Watch it's, this, Demi Lich, you <laughs> fucking a Sarek. GM should have never given me this thing. <laughs> exactly. Uh-oh. <laughs> You're right, though. That's a that's another reason why the creative the creative the creativity behind the spell use and pushing the boundaries of it. Again, it's like art or pornography. You know it when you see it. Sometimes, like whoa, 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 that uh, water breathing doesn't kill red dragons. I'm sorry, just back it the fuck off. Or you can have the well, you can try it. No guarantee that the, what you just defined defined is what's going to work there, pal. Because you're really pushing that that effect. You know, you're trying to do some kind of a spider climby 
floaty thing. God knows what will happen if you do this. Um, but you're right. Those are things that, <laughs> yeah, the guy with a really creative spell combination. First, we dimension door behind him. Then we cast grease dimension door back out. And then the guy cast fire. And then he did this. And oh, my God, the orc shaman was ablaze for 10 rounds. It was awesome. Yeah. And it's usually so here's one way to like nuke that as a game master is you just. Don't, say no. You don't give just say no. Well, you can say no, but you could just say you don't. There's no. T- how are you coming up with this? Like, because usually it's like we get in the room and there's a mind flare or there's a beholder, and all of a sudden now you're coming up with this plan. Now, if you you know we go into another room and we come up with this plan that's going to make all the sense in the world right now as we're planning it, and is like completely flawless in everything they're thinking about. But, in the middle of combat, right? In but, the middle of the fight. Well, the I'm talking about if they left the room, right? Oh, if they don't yeah. leave the room, then I'm okay with like the discussion. But if they're going to sit there, yeah, during combat, and it's like, all right, round three, ding, ding, you're up, wizard. Okay, this is what we're going to do. And it's been like a 30-minute discussion amongst all the players. And they're like, oh, that's absolutely going to work. Totally. All right, man. That's your that's your hate of metagaming, right? The The outside of the game. I think it's okay in moderation. I don't mind a ton of metagaming, but when it's like, really, you're going to come up with a foolproof plan in the middle of a combat round that's supposed to take, mm, I don't know, 10 seconds? Yeah. I mean, you can hand wave that a little bit, right? There has to be some, right? So it's never going to be perfect simulation. Right. Because that's not, at least that's not what I'm there for. I'm not for an absolute simulation of the combat. But... So yeah, there, there's that's another limiter. If as a player, as a GM, you can say, "Look, I get what you're trying to do. Y'all don't have time to put that masterpiece together right now. You can do part of that, but there's no way in the middle of this fight with the Beholder, his five Mind Flayer minions, and the horde of Dark Elves behind him that y'all have time right now to holler back and cor- forth across the battlefield. Or if you really want to do that, then guess what? The bad guys heard you and they know what you're doing. I mean, there's so there's ways that you can. Stymie it, calm it down, say, guys, look, I get what you're trying to do. You got to tone it back a bit because that doesn't make sense in the scenario. That's Again, it's kind of the spirit of the environment, the spirit of the thing that's happening. If what you're trying to do, how creative you're trying to be with that spell usage at that time doesn't fit the scenario, you might have to back it down or explain to people why. No, I'm sorry. I I can't let that one fly because it just doesn't work right here. <laughs> guys what i just it's always this always this thing like hey you know to come up with the craziest thing that's gonna i don't know i think sometimes it's awesome and funny and other times i'm like are you out of your damn mind <laughs> <laughs> i said like i said it's it's like art or pornography you kind of know it when you see it sometimes and you're like god no that doesn't work you don't use <laughs> again to use monty cook's example you don't use water breathing kill a fucking dragon that's just not how this works people god damn it but if somebody wants to use a different spell, you know, they have a mind reading spell and they want to use it. Um, they know the full effect does X. They don't have time for the full effect. They like to shortchange it a little bit. You're like, well, okay, it's not really. All right. We can give you an, an, an attempt to make a thing work. There's always, there's a core system. There's a core rule in a system. There's advantage, disadvantage in DD 5e. There are dice chains, dice uh, things you can do, penalties, difficulties, saving throws, resistances, all sorts of things that as a game master and players, you can bring to the table and say, look, I'd like to do this thing. I know it's a little crazy. I think, Sean, as my game master, it might actually give me a penalty on my roll or let somebody or let him, or let this person have a resistance check 
against the spell effect, even though it normally wouldn't get one because I'm trying to bend that spell rule so much. I think they should be able to resist me. I think by positing it like that, as some of my players have to me in the past, it makes that creative spell use more palatable. I think some quid quid pro quo would come in handy. Sure. I mean, you want to do that? Absolutely. Here's the deal. Yeah. You, here's you, what you're going to give up for that. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to age 10 years and you're going to have your charisma is going to drop like five points. Yeah. You know, you're going to have, you know, kind of like this, but the spell burn effect in DCC, right? You're going to have all kinds of boils on your face and you're going to be an outcast of society because you're just, you've been warped and. Twisted by twisted the horrible magics. That by the caused. magics, man. The yeah. magics have gotten to you because you've tried to do too much with it. That's cool. Yeah. Sweet. Anything else on this, man? No. I like creative spells. I think they're fun. And like I said, I think there's there's a limit and it's hard to put a boundary on it. But I think with uh, if you need, if you feel the need to use mechanical in-game controls, there are every game that I know of around magic where every game has a system of some sort that you can use the core mechanic at least to give you some kind of a control mechanism. I think I want to hear stories that people come up with that are that like, Oh, cool. let, let, me, let me tell you about this one time. This wizard yeah. guy went I, crazy. I let this cleric and a wizard in the Druid. The three of them thought they had a plan. Like whatever, let's just see how this goes. They blew up my whole world, man. Fucking a, I could see that happening. Right. Shall we? Yeah. Let's get into die roll. Element of the show, two to four miscellaneous points of gaming and geekery or just plain something that may incentivize, not incentivize, inspire your game. There you go. There yes. you go. Inspire your game. I think I did that before too, like 10 episodes ago. You might have. Incentivize. Incentivize. Whatever. Brett, go. <laughs> All right. I got two of them. Uh, apparently, there are hundreds of secret underground World War II bases hidden in British forests. Um, so if you're playing uh, Delta green or anything like that, this is just really cool. Um, I look at this type of thing and not only just in the UK, but the different stories and, um, historical looks that I've seen into bunkers and stuff built throughout Europe. This would also be a really interesting thing to plug into say Knights black agents game. So link in the show notes to this. I thought it was pretty cool. Also found another link to an IO9 uh, Gizmodo article about the five scariest cults in history. I think there might be scarier cults than these, but um, kind of like God, sometimes it's fun to uh, use some of the existing cults, twist them, warp them a little bit, add, add little Yogg-Sothoth or uh, Yig or some horrible Cthulhu mythos creature or whatever. But uh, these are cults that would make for really good bad guys. Just uh, pick them and plop them into a world. Sean, are you looking at the chat room there? You're like all grinny happy. <laughs> yeah. These guys kill me. <laughs> VC's like Sean doesn't actually roll the dice. He's all mad. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I was too lazy tonight. Too lazy. Uh, mine, using Microsoft OneNote, I do have uh, uh, a person that I had found on Google Plus that uses it rather robustly. And I thought, you know, I know some gamers are either using Evernote or OneNote. This individual takes it to a whole nova level that you can check out. I'll have a link in the show notes. That um, looks cool. I'm looking at it right now. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, it's like they made their own PHB campaign guide reference book. It was, it's kind of nuts. Wow. Yeah. Um, number two in the, let's see. 
Uh, YouTube video. Yeah. I put this out on Google Plus and I uh, I think that was it. Twitter maybe. Um, DNA. Huh. I don't know why that. D&D based guide to contribution and inclusion in the Python community. A technical talk on programming language using D&D as a reference. So I, I liked it because it was kind of like a real world kind of, you know, conference talk and they incorporated D&D into it. Much like Phil Vecchione's project management talk he gave at some project management convention conference, uh, but incorporated elements of role-playing games. Yeah, his whole thing was like RPGs and project management. It was really cool. Yeah. So I think that was pretty cool. And I think- uh, That's very neat. Yeah. Uh, number three, the anti-Kathira mechanism. Uh, interesting. The most mysterious technological object on the planet should have been destroyed at least three times. And it's, uh, Oh, this is the one that they found, uh, in the Mediterranean sea. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. That thing's cool. Yes. And then, uh, my last one for the week, if I can get that stupid box to get off my thing there. Okay. Gaming travel kit. So Chad Jones, he's a blogger for a Yelp in the Dark blog at Blogspot, um, laid his his travel kit out. So I thought we go to cons, some of us are GMs, some of us are players, some of us are both. So when you go to a con, or you're going to, or you got your traveling kit set aside, take a few pictures and show us what it looks like, right? So the travel kit we're speaking of, you know, is like, okay, I got this plastic thing. And in there's like my two deck of cards and my dice. And, you know, I've got five pencils and three hourglasses and all this other stuff. And I've actually here, started. Here's getting... my bag. And, and, you know, my bag hangs this off for water and hydration and all that other goofy stuff. Yeah. You talk, you talk bagging and uh, kit and stuff up. We got to, obviously you, you, uh, you summon the vecchio. And as soon as you talk about bags and kits. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I'll tell you though, I have, after, running more games at conventions and having to tote shit around my, my con kit is getting lighter and lighter because I don't want to lug a huge, I've got a big magazine case that I carry a lot of stuff in when I go like to a friend's house or something, or I'm because I just throw it in my car and I carry it, you know, 10 feet into the basement, wherever it is, I'm playing there. That's fine. But when you've got to carry it to a con, lug it around with you or whatever, I'm like, Hey, what fits in my backpack? What can I just carry with me easily? Without having to have my backpack full, both my hands at the same time, type of thing. So this is cool. That's a really good idea, Sean. I like that idea. Show us what you uh, what you got in your kit. That would Stan be Shin, Stan Shin on Google Plus has done this. He's oh yes, he has. Yep. He's got some game master stuff where he kind of uh, inspired me, not incentivized. <laughs> God, inspired me. Inspirevised to have a like. It's a plastic. Uh, like what are they? Um, Fishing tackle, tackle oh, yeah, little, plastic, uh, plastic box. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever they're called. And so I've got little stuff and I can just grab that and it's going to have tokens and glass beads and pencils. But buddy Dave started doing that. Yeah. He was running, he's got some, basically got some old school miniatures, lead figs that were like an assortment of adventurers. Mm. And he brought those and he has them in this little case. So just throw them in his bag and carry them to a gaming convention because Somebody somewhere needs a, a miniature for a stand-in, even if it's a bad guy. He goes, I have some figs. Just throw some figs out. And adventure is usually in more demand than it is, say, monsters, because monsters get dice or whatever you don't care about. So we always bring some of those. Yeah, that's interesting. I like that. Cool. Yeah. 
All right. That's it. I think that's it. That's the show. Do you know what we're talking about next week, Brett? Yeah. You know what? We're going to talk about planar travel. I like it. We had two people come at us about planes. We're talking about planar travel hey, or planes in general. That reminds me. I should save it for next week, but I saw a post in Facebook from my buddy, Jeff, who I mentioned earlier, that had to do with uh, some scientist claiming that reality is not as real as we think it is. Oh, for God's sakes. Oh, it's perfecto. All right. Yeah. So anyway, we're going to talk about, we can't, we won't go, well, we'll see how far we get. We'll talk about planes. I think it'd be kind of interesting. Yeah. So I, I've, I've flown on a DC 10, uh, 747, <laughs> um, little puddle jumpers, little air buses, I think. Nice. <laughs> All right. Shall we wrap? Yeah, As this is a episode of Gaming NBS. Uh, actually, before we you leave, know what? Our, our, intro, our intro was stronger than our outro. I know right it is. Now. Right? I'll tell you that right I know. now. We can't. We can just not like cut this off yeah, evenly. Hey, but we, we should say though we are on sponsorship. Gamehole again. Correct. Yes. So we did not. All, all of you listeners who showed up at Gamehole Con. Um, they, I don't know what we, we weren't bad enough as a as on mass. So um, the uh, the the beer event went over well. So uh, sounds like we'll be doing something similar to. We'll probably do that exact same thing again next game hole. And uh, Alex and the boys were uh, happy to have us there. So by God, sponsoring us again. So the first weekend of November next year, twenty seventeen, game hole five. Yep. See if you can make it to Madison, Wisconsin. Get your ass to Game Hole Con. Absolutely. Visit GameholeCon.com. Sign up there to get notifications of what when things are going on. And if you can make it, we'd, we'd love to see you. We're going to have the same booth at least, and probably at least the three tables that we had last this past November. Yep. Um, and we there are people that wanted our beer. Like in 2017, they were like, hey, Alex, can we do the beer thing next year? And we were like, no, no, we're doing we're it. <laughs> so we're going to be doing it again in 2017. And Alex is like, yep, that's cool, man. You guys got it. So sweet. Yeah. Otherwise, right. uh, another episode of Gaming and BS. Thanks for tuning in. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good gaming all. Episodes of Gaming and BS come to you with the help from the following patrons. Christian Sexy Voice Serrano, Kevin Lovecraft, Joe Swick, Brett's Biggest Fan, Jeff Rodemacher, Forrest Gary. Mark Anthony Benedetti, Bruce Cunnington, Eric Jeppesen, Andy Hall, Misdirected Mark Productions, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Chris Steele, Old School DM, The Knights of the Night Crew, Palladian, Jason Blaylock, Remy Billadeau, Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Merkel Froilich, Wayne Lumrunner Humphrey, James Carpio, Matt Caprio, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Eric Tankar, Brandon Barnes, Mark Tasaka, Brett Pazinski, Tim Shorts, Eileen Barnes, Chad Knight, Dan LaValley, C.W. Mellencamp, Nicholas Abruzzo, Victor Wyatt, Tony the Butcher Baker, and Craig Huber. For the cost of a coffee shop coffee, you can support the show for an entire month. Visit GamingNBS.com forward slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thank you.